0: Chapter 107 of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 107 The Lion's Den. One division of La Force in which the most dangerous and desperate prisoners are confined is called the Court of Saint Bernard. The prisoners, in their expressive language, have named it the Lion's Den probably because the captives possess teeth which frequently gnaw the bars and sometimes the keepers also it is a prison within a prison the walls are double the thickness of the rest the gratings are every day carefully examined by jailers whose herculean proportions and cold pitiless expression prove them to have been chosen to reign over their subjects for their superior activity and intelligence The courtyard of this quarter is enclosed by enormous walls over which the sun glances obliquely when it deigns to penetrate into this gulf of moral and physical deformity on this paved yard are to be seen pacing to and fro from morning till night pale careworn and haggard like so many shadows the men whom justice holds beneath the steel she is sharpening there crouched against the side of the wall which attracts and retains the most heat they may be seen sometimes talking to one another but more frequently alone watching the door which sometimes opens to call forth one from the gloomy assemblage or to throw in another outcast from society the court of saint bernard has its own particular apartment for the reception of guests it is a long rectangle divided by two upright gratings placed at a distance of three feet from one another to prevent a visitor from shaking hands with, or passing anything, to the prisoners. It is a wretched, damp, nay, even horrible spot, more especially when we consider the agonizing conferences which have taken place between those iron bars. And yet, frightful though this spot may be, it is looked upon as a kind of paradise by the men whose days are numbered. It is so rare for them to leave the lion's den for any other place than the Barrier Saint-Jacques or the galleys. In the court, which we have attempted to describe, and from which a damp vapour was rising, a young man with his hands in his pockets, who had excited much curiosity among the inhabitants of the den, might be seen walking. The cut of his clothes would have made him pass for an elegant man, if those clothes had not been torn to shreds, still they did not show signs of wear, and the fine cloth beneath the careful hands of the prisoner soon recovered its gloss in the parts which were still perfect, for the wearer tried his best to make it assume the appearance of a new coat. He bestowed the same attention upon the cambric front of a shirt, which had considerably changed in colour since his entrance into the prison, and he polished his varnished boots with the corner of a handkerchief embroidered with initials surmounted by a coronet, Some of the inmates of the lion's den were watching the operations of the prisoner's toilet with considerable interest. "'See, the prince is pluming himself,' said one of the thieves. "'He's a fine-looking fellow,' said another. "'If he had only a comb and hair grease, he'd take the shine off the gentleman in white kids.' "'His coat looks almost new, and his boots shine like a nigger's face.' it's pleasant to have such well-dressed comrades but didn't those gendarmes behave shamefully must have been jealous to tear such clothes he looks like a big bug said another dresses in fine style and then to be here so young oh what larks meanwhile the object of this hideous admiration approached the wicket against which one of the keepers was leaning come sir he said lend me twenty francs "'You will soon be paid. You run no risks with me. "'Remember, I have relations who possess more millions than you have deniers. "'Come, I beseech you. "'Lend me twenty francs, so that I may buy a dressing-gown. "'It is intolerable always to be in a coat and boots.' "'And what a coat, sir, for a prince of the Cavalcanti!' The keeper turned his back and shrugged his shoulders. He did not even laugh at what would have caused anyone else to do so. He would heard so many utter the same things. Indeed, he heard nothing else. "'Come,' said Andrea. "'You are a man void of compassion. I'll have you turned out.' This made the keeper turn round, and he burst into a loud laugh. The prisoners then approached and formed a circle. "'I tell you, with that wretched sum,' continued Andrea, "'I could obtain a coat and a room in which to receive the illustrious visitor I am daily expecting." "'Of course, of course,' said the prisoners. "'Any one can see he's a gentleman.' "'Well, then, lend him the twenty francs,' said the keeper, leaning on the other shoulder. "'Surely you will not refuse a comrade?' "'I am no comrade of these people,' said the young man proudly. "'You have no right to insult me thus.' The thieves looked at one another with low murmurs, and a storm gathered over the head of the aristocratic prisoner raised less by his own words than by the manner of the keeper. The latter, sure of quelling the tempest when the waves became too violent, allowed them to rise to a certain pitch that he might be revenged on the importunate Andrea, and, besides, it would afford him some recreation during the long day. The thieves had already approached Andrea with some screaming, "'La Savate! La Savate!' a cruel operation which consists in cuffing a comrade who may have fallen into disgrace, not with an old shoe, but with an iron-heeled one. Others propose the anguille, another kind of recreation in which a handkerchief is filled with sand, pebbles, and two sous pieces when they have them, which the wretches beat like a flail over the head and shoulders of the unhappy sufferer. "'Let us horsewhip the fine gentlemen,' said others but andrea turning towards them winked his eyes rolled his tongue around his cheeks and smacked his lips in a manner equivalent to a hundred words among the bandits when forced to be silent it was a masonic sign kadroos had taught him he was immediately recognized as one of them the handkerchief was thrown down and the iron heeled shoe replaced on the foot of the wretch to whom it belonged some voices were heard to say that the gentleman was right that he intended to be civil in his way, and that they would set the example of liberty of conscience, and the mob retired. The keeper was so stupefied at this scene that he took Andrea by the hands and began examining his person, attributing the sudden submission of the inmates of the lion's den to something more substantial than mere fascination. Andrea made no resistance, although he protested against it. Suddenly a voice was heard at the wicket. "'Benedetto!' exclaimed an inspector the keeper relaxed his hold i am called said andrea to the visitors room said the same voice you see someone pays me a visit ah my dear sir you will see whether a cavalcanti is to be treated like a common person and andrea gliding through the court like a black shadow rushed out through the wicket leaving his comrades and even the keeper lost in wonder Certainly a call to the visitors' room had scarcely astonished Andrea less than themselves, for the wily youth, instead of making use of his privilege of waiting to be claimed on his entry into La Force, had maintained a rigid silence. "'Everything,' he said, "'proves me to be under the protection of some powerful person. This sudden fortune, the facility with which I have overcome all obstacles, an unexpected family and an illustrious name awarded to me gold showered down upon me and the most splendid alliances about to be entered into an unhappy lapse of fortune and the absence of my protector have cast me down certainly but not forever the hand which has retreated for a while will be again stretched forth to save me at the very moment when i shall think myself sinking into the abyss why should i risk an imprudent step it might alienate my protector "'He has two means of extricating me from this dilemma—the one by a mysterious escape, managed through bribery, the other by buying off my judges with gold. I will say and do nothing until I am convinced that he has quite abandoned me. And then—' Andrea had formed a plan which was tolerably clever. The unfortunate youth was intrepid in the attack, and rude in the defence he had borne with the public prison and with privations of all sorts still by degrees nature or rather custom had prevailed and he suffered from being naked dirty and hungry it was at this moment of discomfort that the inspector's voice called him to the visitors room andrea felt his heart leap with joy it was too soon for a visit from the examining magistrate and too late for one from the director of the prison or the doctor it must, then, be the visitor he hoped for. Behind the grating of the room into which Andrea had been led, he saw, while his eyes dilated with surprise, the dark and intelligent face of M. Bertuccio, who was also gazing with sad astonishment upon the iron bars, the bolted doors, and the shadow which moved behind the other grating. "'Ah!' said Andrea, deeply affected. "'Good morning, Benedetto.' said bertuccio with his deep hollow voice you you said the young man looking fearfully around him do you not recognize me unhappy child silence be silent said andrea who knew the delicate sense of hearing possessed by the walls for heaven's sake do not speak so loud you wish to speak with me alone do you not said bertuccio oh yes that is well and bertuccio feeling in his pocket signed to a keeper whom he saw through the window of the wicket read he said what is that asked andrea an order to conduct you to our room and to leave you there to talk to me oh cried andrea leaping with joy then he mentally added still my unknown protector i am not forgotten they wish for secrecy since we are to converse in a private room I understand bertuccio has been sent by my protector the keeper spoke for a moment with an official then opened the iron gates and conducted andrea to a room on the first floor the room was whitewashed as is the custom in prisons but it looked quite brilliant to a prisoner though a stove a bed a chair and a table formed the whole of its sumptuous furniture bertuccio sat down upon the chair andrea threw himself upon the bed the keeper retired now said the steward what have you to tell me and you said andrea you speak first oh no you must have much to tell me since you have come to seek me well be it so you have continued your course of villainy you have robbed you have assassinated well i should say if you had me taken to a private room only to tell me this you might have saved yourself the trouble i know all these things but there are some with which on the contrary i am not acquainted let us talk of those if you please who sent you come come you are going on quickly monsieur benedetto yes and to the point let us dispense with useless words who sends you no one how did you know i was in prison i recognized you some time since as the insolent dandy who so gracefully mounted his horse in the champs oh the champs elysees ah yes we burn as they say at the game of pincette the champs elysees come let us talk a little about my father "'Who, then, am I?' "'You, sir. You are my adopted father. But it was not you, I presume, who placed at my disposal one hundred thousand francs, which I spent in four or five months. It was not you who manufactured an Italian gentleman for my father. It was not you who introduced me into the world, and had me invited to a certain dinner at Auteuil, which I fancy I am eating at this moment.' In company with the most distinguished people in Paris, amongst the rest with a certain procureur, whose acquaintance I did very wrong not to cultivate, for he would have been very useful to me just now. It was not you, in fact, who bailed me for one or two millions when the fatal discovery of my little secret took place. Come, speak, my worthy Corsican, speak. What do you wish me to say? "'I will help you. "'You were speaking of the Champs-Elysees just now, worthy foster-father.' "'Well?' "'Well, in the Champs-Elysees there resides a very rich gentleman.' "'At whose house you robbed and murdered, did you not?' "'I believe I did.' "'The Count of Monte Cristo.' "'Tis you who have named him, as M. Racine says.' "'Well, am I to rush into his arms and strain him to my heart, "'crying, My father, my father, like Monsieur Pixercourt? "'Do not let us jest,' gravely replied Bertuccio, "'and dare not to utter that name again as you have pronounced it.' "'Bah!' said Andrea, a little overcome by the solemnity of Bertuccio's manner. "'Why not?' "'Because the person who bears it is too highly favoured by heaven "'to be the father of such a wretch as you.' "'Oh, these are fine words. "'And there will be fine doings if you do not take care.' "'Menaces! I do not fear them. "'I will say, do you think you are engaged with a pygmy like yourself?' "'said Bertuccio, in so calm a tone and with so steadfast a look.' that andrea was moved to the very soul do you think you have to do with galley slaves or novices in the world benedetto you are fallen into terrible hands they are ready to open for you make use of them do not play with the thunderbolt they have laid aside for a moment but which they can take up again instantly if you attempt to intercept their movements my father i will know who my father is said the obstinate youth i will perish if i must but i will know it what does scandal signify to me what possessions what reputation what pull as beauchamp says have i you great people always lose something by scandal notwithstanding your millions come who is my father i came to tell you "'Ah!' cried Benedetto, his eyes sparkling with joy. Just then the door opened, and the jailer, addressing himself to Bertuccio, said, "'Excuse me, sir, but the examining magistrate is waiting for the prisoner.' "'And so closes our interview,' said Andrea to the worthy steward. "'I wish the troublesome fellow were at the devil.' "'I will return to-morrow,' said Bertuccio. "'Good!' "'Gendarme, I am at your service. Ah, sir, do leave a few crowns for me at the gate, that I may have some things I am in need of.' "'It shall be done,' replied Bertuccio. Andrea extended his hand. Bertuccio kept his own in his pocket, and merely jingled a few pieces of money. "'That's what I mean,' said Andrea, endeavouring to smile, quite overcome by the strange tranquillity of Bertuccio. "'Can I be deceived?' he murmured, as he stepped into the oblong and grated vehicle which they call the salad-basket. "'Never mind. We shall see. "'Tomorrow, then,' he added, turning towards Bertuccio. "'Tomorrow,' replied the steward. End of chapter 107